Good morning. You're going to have to be rowdier than that. I'm excited to be here, and you got to at least match it, right? So good morning. Um, that's, that's good. See, God's people are like a rowdy people. You ever read this thing? It's, it's, it's kind of intense in here a couple times. When, when God's people praise, it's going on, right? When, when God's people, it says shout for joy a couple times in, in the Bible. I think I've seen that before. So shouts are acceptable here. It says clap your hands. That's pretty good stuff here. So uh, what I know is God enjoys a little bit of noise, and um, all that sounds a whole lot like praise to him. So anyway, um, I'm just saying that to say you, you got to come with me this morning because I'm so excited about what God's going to do. This morning we're going to be in Luke, so if you have your Bible, you can go to Luke. Um, we're going to start talking about Christmas uh, stuff for the next couple weeks, so if you're like a Christmas junkie, this is going to be your deal for the next couple weeks, and then we're going to have to wait another 11 months for that to happen for you again, so sorry about that, but... The next few weeks, we're going to talk about the Christmas story, and we're just going to jump around a couple times in the um, New Testament. Um, if you are sitting here and you're like, man, I've heard these stories before, um, well, congratulations. Um, there's not been any new stories on the birth of Jesus in like 2,000-ish years, right? So uh, if you hear a new story about the birth of Jesus, you need to be a little skeptical about all that, but um, we're going to do Matthew at some point in time. Mark just totally ignores the birth of Jesus, so we're not going to use Mark for the next couple weeks. So if you love the abbreviated gospel or the gospel for people who don't like to read, you're going to have to read that at home because we're not going to do that here. And Luke has like an extensive uh, birth of Jesus story, and we're not going to be in Luke 2 today, so sorry about that. If that's your favorite story, you to come back on Christmas Eve. And then um, John actually talks about uh, Jesus before um, the birth, which is kind of amazing, and maybe we'll do that here in the next couple of weeks, but um, it's going to be, uh, for you, stories you've maybe heard before, but I'm praying uh, from, from and through the grace of God that it's stuff we've never heard in this way before, and, um, you know, the Word of God is living, so it's going to be very possible for us. But this morning we're going to be in Luke and we're going to talk about um, the, the prophecy to Mary, I guess, of the birth of Jesus. Um, Luke is kind of an amazing narrative of the story of Jesus and it even starts out talking about this, um, this book and why he wrote it. And verse 1, it says, Many have undertaken uh, to compile a narrative about the events that have been fulfilled among us. In other words, Luke's like, hey, I'm not the only person that's ever tried to write down this story. Uh, many people have tried to write down the story. Matthew and Mark preceded Luke as Gospels, and he's probably borrowing some stuff from some of them. But it says in 2 that just as the original eyewitnesses and servants of the word handed them down to us, it also seemed good to me since I've carefully investigated everything from the very first to write to you in orderly sequence, most honorable Theopolis, so that you may know the certainty of the things about which you have been instructed. So we see Luke's purpose for writing uh, this narrative or this gospel of Jesus' life. He's writing it to a man named Theopolis. We don't know who Theopolis is. You can look it up. There's a couple different theories, but honestly, anybody that says they know is just making stuff up because nobody knows. But Theopolis is, uh, his name actually means, I think, child of God. And Luke is just writing this guy, the, the narrative about Jesus' life and through him to us. It's kind of an amazing thing. And his goal, he even gives it to us in the beginning, is to take these eyewitness accounts, not Luke's opinion or Luke's thoughts or some stuff he might have heard kind of in the back alleys of Jerusalem, but these eyewitness accounts and lay them out in an 
orderly sequence in, in a complete as way as possible. We know that this is not everything Jesus did his entire life. It's just some snapshots, some cliff notes of the amazing stuff that he did. But Luke's goal was to, to write him in an orderly sequence and in his complete form as he can. And he's doing this through eyewitness accounts. Not hearsay, not stories he heard in church one day. And, and some of you are like, well, okay, uh, why, why are you talking about that? That's not the Christmas story. And here's the reason. I think some of us sometimes get in our head that this is just some stories. This is a collection of events that may or may not have actually literally happened. But these are eyewitness accounts. People that were there and they saw these things are telling this story. And the amazing thing to me is they saw these things. You can, you can trust the authority of the scripture in total, but also in Luke, because Luke is talking to people that were there. You're like, well, Luke wasn't there when Jesus was born, and, and that's true. I don't ever read anywhere in Luke 1 or 2 where he, like, strolled up into the manger. I, I get that. But there was somebody that was there, and her name was Mary. And the story that we're about to read is not something he heard in church one day and wrote down, but, but it's Mary's story about what happened to Mary. Isn't that amazing? So we're reading it in the handwriting of Luke, but it's actually the story from the mother of Jesus. That's so good. That's so good. And I think sometimes we get in this dilemma, like, did these things really happen? And, you know, that's, that's maybe taboo to say in church because we want to pretend like everything is so easy to swallow in here, right? But, but it, it's kind of it's crazy to think about sometimes, right? Like a virgin had a baby, Anybody ever think maybe this is just kind of weird biologically it's only happened one time? Like, it's a little weird. But Mary's telling the story of how Mary was a virgin and Mary had a baby. That's amazing to me. This is true. That's all I want to say. This is true. And it should be treated as the miracle that it is. It's a true story. Luke starts talking, and he starts talking immediately about Gabriel's prediction of, of John's birth. Now, John is John the Baptist. He's not called John the Baptist because he's the father of the Baptist faith, and he started a bunch of churches all over the world. That's not him, but he liked to baptize people. He would be John that was kind of hanging out in the wilderness. He dressed weird, and he ate weird stuff, and he dunked people in water, kind of a weird thing, um, and he got the name John the Baptist through that, and he talks about how John's birth kind of came about and there was this prediction that there would be this guy John and, and John is a very important character because John was the one who would make the way right for Jesus he, he's the one that was prophesied about that would come and he would kind of set up the stage hey there's the kingdom of God and he's coming and that's what exactly John did and he goes through the story of the prediction of the birth of John but John's a man like you and me so we don't need to know that maybe today and then he gets to 26, and he starts talking about the same angel, Gabriel, who predicts the birth of Jesus. And that's where we're going to be today. And it says, in the sixth month, verse 26, and the sixth month is not like the sixth month of the year. I think that's June. I'm not good with things like that. I can figure it up, but who cares? It's not what it's talking about. What it's talking about is the sixth month of Elizabeth, John's mom's pregnancy. If you bump back about two verses, it says, after these days, his wife, Elizabeth, conceived and kept herself in seclusion for five months. She said, the Lord has done this for me. 
He has looked with favor in these days to take away my disgrace among the people. So we're now six months into Elizabeth's pregnancy. So John was presumably about six months older than Jesus. And it said the angel Gabriel, same angel that predicted the birth of John just a couple months ago, was sent by God to a town in Galilee called Nazareth. This angel was sent by God. It's kind of cool. Angel is a Greek word, angelos, which means messenger. So he's doing his job, right? He comes and he's, he's doing his job and he's sent by God to a town in Galilee. Galilee's the northern region of Israel. There's kind of three parts. If so if you took Tennessee and flipped it this way, it'd kind of be the same idea. There's Galilee and then Samaria in the middle and then the bottom is Judea. So in Galilee, the upper part of Israel, to a town called Nazareth. Now, Nazareth is, is a little bitty town. It's like a, like a one-horse town. You ever heard that phrase? Like there, there's not even a stoplight here. Nazareth is a little bitty place. Actually, in the days of Jesus, Nazareth had a population of about 400. It's a little place. You don't have anything to compare that to. So I think, um, is it Townsend? I looked it up. I think Townsend has a population of a little bit over 400 people. So if you think about Townsend, um, Maybe you've never been to Townsend, so let's just go with Coryton. You know how many people live in Coryton, anybody? It's uh, over 12,000 people. Isn't that crazy? I, I was like blown away because if we're looking for like a, I'm sorry if you're from there, right? Like a, a place that doesn't have much going on. Coryton doesn't even have a McDonald's. You can't be mad at me. Like it's got a, it's got a traffic light finally, thank the Lord, right? But it's not got much. There are 12,000 people that live in Coryton. Everybody been to Mascot? You know where Mascot is? Some of you guys, Mascot. Mascot is smaller, actually, than Coryton. There's about 2,000 people, over 2,000 people who live in Mascot. That's a lot of people, right? <laughs> so, like, significantly smaller than Mascot is this place called Nazareth. And it says that God sent an angel, an angel with a name. That happens, like, three times in the whole of the Bible, by the way. You'd assume there's some importance maybe on this angel because he gets a name. And this angel Gabriel is sent by God to this town in the northern region of Galilee. There's a lot of towns there. And he finds this little bitty town with about 400 people in it and he sends that angel there. Now see, to me, that's crazy, right? A little bit a little bit crazy. There are 400 people in that town. There, there's towns that are more important. There's towns that have, um, you know, maybe some strategic in advantage. There's towns that have more money and more influence. And he finds like a town with no influence and probably not much going on. And he finds a lady in that town and he sends an angel to that lady in that town. And that's crazy to me because if God will go to a little bitty place like that and do a really big thing, then I'm not counted out in what God's doing today. That's all I'm saying. And it's just for free this morning. But it says he sent an angel on the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy to a town in Galilee called Nazareth. And he sent this angel to a virgin. Not a, right? A virgin. Sends this angel to a virgin. If you want to know what that is, Nick will fill you in later. Um, so he sends, uh, let you off that time, Jamie and Kenny. Um, but he sends this angel to a virgin, and this virgin um, is engaged to a man named Joseph. Not married to 
not living with, like she's living in a separate house with her family and one day they're going to get married and they probably don't even really get to see each other very often. If they do, it's like kind of one of those visits where you got to have a chaperone. Like this is that kind of arrangement here. And he sends this lady, he sends this angel to a virgin who's engaged to a man named Joseph. Now, we don't, we don't know much about Joseph from this story. You can keep reading. Uh, it doesn't tell you anything about what he likes to do. He's not some rich man. He's not some priest. He's, he's a man named Joseph that we don't know much about here. But what we do know is this really important thing. He's from the house and the family line of David. So he's got some important lineage. He's not in himself very important. He's living in a town with 400 people. Like there's not much going on in, in the town and there's not much going on with Joseph. But he comes from kind of an important line. See, David is the king that all of Israel is like, man, he is the guy. You know how many kings Israel had? There were, there were a bunch, and most people can't remember more than like two names because most of them weren't very significant, and most of them didn't do really anything amazing. But, but David, he's like the man in Israel. They're still looking, actually, if you find Jewish people, they're still looking for this Messiah because they don't believe it was Jesus who's coming through this house and family line of David. And it's very important that Joseph comes from this family, and it says that, there's one thing that's kind of a shining light in his life and that he's he's from that house. He's not king, he's not going to be king, but he comes from a line of kings. A lot of you guys maybe know how that feels because you're related to like Dolly Parton or, you know, you don't have any of the money, but it's a cool story. This is that. And then it finally tells us this virgin's name was Mary. We don't get anything else. We'll get hair color, shoe size, age. We don't know if she was good at anything. But we know that this angel was sent by God to find her, Mary, really nobody, from a nobody town. God found her. Sent an angel to her. And it says this angel came with a message and it says in 28 and the angel came to her and said rejoice favored woman rejoice favored one i think i have the definition for rejoice back there somewhere it's coming maybe there we go rejoice uh, is to feel or to show great joy or delight so the angel shows up and he's like rejoice to feel or show great joy or delight in other words be excited you should be excited today. You, I'm going to tell you something here in just a second, and you need to know the proper reaction to this thing is you should be excited. You should not only feel great joy, but you need to express great joy. So before you get a message, before you get anything, I just want you to know you need to be happy about the message. I feel like maybe we could start church with that every week, right? Like rejoice. No matter what the songs are. No matter what the message is, there is a God who loves us and came for us and died for us and everything flows out of that, not anything else. And this angel shows up and he's like, hey, before you know what I'm talking about today, I just want you to know the proper response for you is you need to be excited about it. Rejoice, and then he goes, favored woman. Now, favored is a word we don't like throw around a whole lot, so I got it too. Favored means preferred or recommended and the synonym for that is chosen. Rejoice, chosen woman. 
preferred, woman recommended woman. Now, now imagine hearing this. You're Mary from Galilee um, in a town called Nazareth, which most people probably haven't even heard of, and people don't go there for vacation. Like, this is not an important town. There's probably not anything amazing there. You've lived in your parents' house your whole life and really never done anything phenomenal. And then an angel shows up to you, which is kind of amazing, and he says, hey, I want you to be excited. Here's why I want you to be excited. You're chosen. Rejoice, favored woman. Rejoice, chosen woman. Kind of a cool greeting, right? It says, the Lord is with you. God is with you. Rejoice, chosen woman. God is with you. This is in 29. Her response to that was not to throw her arms in the air and shout and have a great time. Uh, It says she was deeply troubled by this statement, wondering what kind of greeting this could be. Now, I don't know about you, but like it sounds like a cool idea, right? Like if I go home today and I'm in my room and uh, turn on the TV and an angel just like pops up in the room and he's like, hey, rejoice, Brad. You've been chosen. God is with you. That sounds like a cool idea. Anybody? Uh, see, I need you to be with me today. Um, <laughs> that sounds like a cool idea, right? Or you like, get in your car and you like turn it on and then just right in the seat beside you, angel pops up. And I don't know if angels fit in cars because all that stuff is complicated to me. But if he did and he looks at you and he's like, hey, rejoice, favored, chosen, whoever we're talking about. Um, the Lord is with you. That sounds cool. But her response to that is not, oh man, this is really cool, let me worship you right now. This is, that's not what happens. It says she was troubled. Now I don't think the Lord is with you is like the part she was troubled about, or the rejoice probably is the part she was troubled about. Um, a, there's an angel in the room. Uh, that didn't happen much, right? Like, it seems like it happens a lot if you read just the beginning of Luke because, like, Elizabeth gets an angel and, like, all these people are getting angels. And it's like, man, God just must be popping out angels for everybody. But that's not really how it works usually. This is a weird thing. This doesn't happen very often. God doesn't just send angels to everybody. Like, all 400 residents of Nazareth have not witnessed angels just walking around, coming in the room, being like, hey, rejoice. It's a good day. It's It's abnormal. It's miraculous, actually, an angel just popping up in the room with you. You've never witnessed it, I would assume. If you have, a lot of people would think you were crazy, right? Like, it's not something that, that, that you probably even tell the story about. Like, that's not, that's not a common thing. So an angel pops up in the room, and there's, like, problem A. This is weird. Now, problem B is we know in the Old Testament one angel killed 185,000 trained Assyrian warriors. So angels are not like this little diaper cherubim babies with a little bow shooting hearts at people. That's not an angel. They're not like these little blonde girls floating around strumming the harp. Like, that's not what they are. Um, they are they're warriors, and here one popped up in the room. That's also a little freaky, but I don't, I don't even think that was really maybe what even got her. I think the thing is, um, this angel said you're chosen, and we don't know what we're chosen for. Right, like if God popped up in the room today with us, and he was like, hey, I just want you to know you're chosen, what would the next question be? Okay, what, what am I chosen for? Right? Because I, I may not want to do that. Let's just be honest, Right? Like if God popped up in the room today and he was like, hey, I'm just going to let you know two years from now you're going to be living in Africa uh, ministering to people that like, they like to eat people. Anybody like, that sounds awesome, I'm gone. Like, 
Probably not, right? Not many of us. For, for a lot of us, it, there's some uncomfort there. God, God may have chosen me, but what I hope God has chosen me for is that I just get to come to church and I get to sit in a chair and I like have to every once in a while raise my hand. That's, I'm not really comfortable with that, so that's a great deal of service for me. So when the angel pops up in the room and he's like, hey, you're chosen, I think the, hey, I, I'm a little troubled by that because I don't know what I'm chosen for. I think that's the uncomfortable response, and I can relate to that because for most of us, that's the same. We actually want to get caught up on what God has chosen us for, right, or what God has called us to. We want to put a title on things. Let me just be honest with you. If you know Jesus, he's called you to follow him, which means the answer is yes. It doesn't matter what he's chosen you for. Like you, If you're following Jesus, you don't even get to have the conversation, right? It's like, hey, I've chosen you. My answer is yes. Because I, he's chosen me, and if I'm a follower, that, that's the response, right? Like, it doesn't matter if he's like, hey, you're going to go witness to this person, or you're going to move to Africa, or you're going to move to Antarctica. That sounds horrible for me. I hate cold weather, but, you know, like if that's what God wants for me, then let's go. Because when God calls you to follow, he doesn't call you to follow your feelings or your thoughts or your emotions or what you want to do. It's like none of that stuff because really like following God has nothing to do with you. God chose you and you get to say yes or no, not let me see the contract first. So I think Mary is experiencing maybe what a lot of us would experience if God showed up in the room and he said, hey, I want you to do this thing. What is the thing? So she's troubled by this greeting. This is in 30, then the angel told her. Here's, here's what she's chosen for. Don't be afraid, Mary. Now he starts off with that. I don't know if that's maybe the most effective statement right there because it's never worked for me, right? Like you ever try to tell somebody, don't be mad. How's that work? You get yelled at, right? <laughs> at best, it's, I'm not mad, right? Like, good point, sorry. You know, like I don't know what to do with that. Don't be upset. Don't cry. Like, does it, that never really actually works, does it? I think he's like maybe giving her more permission to not be afraid than he is asking her not to be. I am not here to kill you and 399 of your closest neighbors. Like, that's what I'm here for. He's like, you don't have to be afraid, I think is what he's saying. Man, what if, what if we just put that on on whatever God called us to do. Hey, you're chosen, and you don't have to be afraid of that. God has called you to do something. That's true if you know Jesus, right? It's not like a select group of people or like one or two people. It's God has chosen everybody that he has chosen, and he's given them a work to do. And under that, I think there's this, this message of you don't have to be afraid. See, because when we, when we know the character of God, that God is a loving God, that God cares for us, that, that God is, is a father, like a good father, not just some like slightly better version of your earthly dad, that he's for us, he's not against us. He's he in, in that, like even if he calls me to Africa and, and even if I die there, I don't have to be afraid. Because see, my fulfillment and in, in in life is just being whatever vessel God has called me to be. 
right? Like I was made for a purpose. You ever, you ever seen somebody who stacks pencils in a coffee mug? And you're looking at that mug and you're like, bro, that's not what you were made for. That's what some of us do with our life, right? God's made us for a thing and we're like stacking pencils in that coffee mug. And we're wondering like, why am I not fulfilled? Why am I not happy? Why, why am I not experiencing God? It's because you're not ever engaging in what God has made you to do. God has called us all to do a thing. And I think just right under that, maybe, maybe if you could just, this is for free this morning, if you could just hear whatever that is, you don't have to be afraid. Not because the mission is not a scary thing, but because God is a loving God. So this angel looks at Mary and he's like, hey, you don't, you don't need to be afraid of what I'm about to tell you. For you have found favor with God. God's chosen you. He's picked you out. He, he, he's, he sees that this is something that you can do, and he's placed it on you because you, you can accomplish this thing. And then he goes, right? Then we get into what the call is. The call, I think, always starts with, hey, I just want you to know God knows what he's doing, and you don't have to be scared of that. Let me tell you what it is. Now listen, he says. You will conceive and give birth to a son. Now, like, imagine if the angel just stopped here. Mary would probably be pretty good with this because in this culture, like, a woman being able to bear children is kind of an important thing. And if you get a son, you got bonus points and the husband likes you better and all that stuff. I'm not saying it's right. I'm just saying it's how it was. And if the angel's message was, hey, I just want you to know you're going to conceive, you're going you're to get pregnant, and you're going to have a son, she'd probably be thinking, oh, it's awesome. I'm about to get married. We're going to live together. I'm going to give him a son. He's going to love me. It's going to be an amazing thing. It sounds great. Um, unfortunately, there's a couple more sentences after that. And, and then the angel says, and you will call his name Jesus. And then she's probably thinking, well, that's kind of pushy. I was thinking like Joseph Jr. or like I was going to name him after my dad, but w- whatever. If you're going to give me a son, like I'll do what you say. Um, he's saying you're going to name the kid literally God saves. That's, that's the name of this kid. You're, you're going to name him um, you're naming Jesus, and that means God saves. Um, in this culture, name meanings are like highly valued. I don't know if you ever noticed that, but it's pretty much this is what this kid's going to do is what the angel's saying. And it says in 32, he, he will be great. Okay, we're back on board with the angel, right? I'm going to have a kid. I live in a town of 400 people. He's going to elevate us. It's going to be amazing. He's going to be great. And then it gets a little weird again. It says, I, and, and, and we'll be called the son of the most high. It's going to be called the Son of the Most High. People are going to refer to him as God's Son. Okay, um, that's different. And this says that the Lord will give him the throne of his father, David. Now to us, we hear that, and we're like, oh, he's going to elevate him into kingship, and he's going to sit on the throne Immediately, a Jewish person, I think, probably would have recognized this. Coming from an angel from God, it's not this kid's going to be the new king. It, it would have clicked somewhere about this time. He's talking about the Messiah. He's talking about the Savior. They're, they're looking for this whole time. They're looking for a king who's going to come back in. He's going to set up this new kingdom of David, and he's going to reign forever. Look at the next sentence. 
and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. So if we weren't getting it on the first one, we've got it now. And his kingdom will have no end. This is what this angel says to Mary. Hey, I just want you to know uh, you're chosen. Don't be afraid. Um, it's going gonna, it's gonna to be fine. Um, you're going to give birth to a son. He's going to be great. People are going to refer to him as God's son. He's going to sit on the throne of David, and he's going to reign forever. His kingdom will have no end. This angel comes, plops down in the room, and basically says, hey, you know the Messiah that people have been talking about? Yeah, that's, that's coming through you. Now imagine being Mary and hearing this. Mary from Galilee, little town Nazareth, 400 people, no political influence, no priestly influence, like she's just some girl in some house. Like you you can look at Mary's resume, there's no reason on paper that they would have been like, you know what, we should go with Mary. Look at Joseph. There's no reason it should have been like, you know what, we should go with Joseph, other than he just happened to be related to King David, you know, generations back. So you imagine Mary hearing this, and what's Mary immediately going to be thinking? Ah, you might have the wrong Mary, right? <laughs> Dude, there's like eight other Marys in this town, and there's only 400 people here. And, and this town's a little town, like, isn't there somewhere more important? Like Jerusalem seems like a good candidate, right? There's like the temple of God there. You could, you could do that. Just thinking, that's where the, you know, kingdom was anyway. Why me? Why Mary? You probably got the wrong one, right? I, I can relate to that. God calls you to do something, and you're like, mm, it's probably not me. I'm probably reading that wrong, right? So Mary even says, right, like she asked the angel, how can this be since I've not been intimate with the man? That's another Nick question. Um, how, how can this be? I've, I've never been with a man. In other words, Mary's like, nope, gotcha. It's not me. You got the wrong Mary. I'd, I'm not really that important. I've never, I've, it's not even possible, right? I know how babies are made anybody probably sitting here could figure that out hopefully if not again you can ask Nick um, but um, she's like it's not me it's not even possible I've, I'm, a, I'm a virgin right this blows all the maiden stuff out of the water oh she's just a young girl you know she, she just says right here I've never been with a man so if that's your she was probably just a young girl, and God just used a bad situation to make a miraculous thing. Like, no, she was a virgin. She even says that. God says it. She says it. It's there on paper. Argument over, really, right? You want to start ripping stuff we don't like out of the Bible, and you might as well just throw it in the garbage can. She was a virgin. And she looks at this angel, and she's like, hey, um, first of all, kind of miraculous. You're standing in my room. Also miraculous, you're saying these things, but I'm just going to ignore the miracles around me and just let you know the limitations of your, your speech here. 
I'm a virgin, so it's probably not me. Now, if she had been reading, like, the Old Testament, um, it, like, says it's coming to a virgin, so that probably should have tipped her off, but whatever. We're not going to argue there. Um, so the angel says, okay, let's talk about it. Um, the Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, like, because of this, the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. In other words, no, Mary, I already told you um, people are going to call him God's Son because he is. He's God's Son. The thing that's happening in you is not really something that we're needing you to help us out with, is what he's saying. We got this figured out. I don't know if you've ever met God, but like he's a pretty smart guy. He's, he's the beginning and the end and all the all the connecting tissue there, and he's got this figured out. Um, he's got a plan, and it doesn't really matter what the circumstances are. Um, we, we've got this. I already told you people are going to call him God's son. Like This is the conversation that happens between Mary and the angel, and he's like, if that's not enough, consider your relative Elizabeth. And cool, like we got a little six-month window just so God could squeeze in a miracle that would help us see that we're having another miracle here. Um, and it says, and consider your relative Elizabeth, even she has conceived. You can see in the language, like this is just, it's kind of a miraculous thing. Even she has conceived a son in her old age. This is not some like older adult still in childbearing age. She's like beyond that genetically, I believe, is what he's saying here. And it says, and, you know, she's six months into this thing, and people were calling her barren. People were saying, Elizabeth, she can't have kids. She's never going to have kids. Like, she wasn't the only one that knew there was a problem. The people around her were aware that there was a problem. And then God stepped into that problem, and he did a miracle. So if you're looking and you're saying, hey, God can't do miracles, maybe you should just look around because God's doing miracles all around you. That's what he's saying. And then he says this, and this is key. um, Nothing will be impossible with God. Nothing will be impossible with God. Not nothing was impossible with God or nothing in the present is possible with God but like for all time there's not one thing that's going to be impossible with God now see the reason he said this is because you know genetically and circumstantially this is an impossibility right like she is a virgin and we even if we have to ask Nick later do know how like children are made and virgins just aren't having kids all the time right like, if, if you don't believe me, well, when you get pregnant, you just roll up to your parents and be like, hey, I don't know what happened. I'm, I, was, I was a virgin. And they're going to yell at you and maybe hit you, and then, you know, you'll go on with your day because it's whatever. But nobody's going to believe that story because, really, like, we've only seen it one time. Like, some of us hear it, and we're like, well, it's not possible. Because, you know, like ultimately we can just explain this stuff away because we haven't seen it. But here's, here's the thing is like people have seen it. And this, these are eyewitness accounts. And he's talking to Mary as he writes this down. She's like, no, dude, I'm serious. Like I really was a virgin. 
And like, see, our brains tell us like circumstantially when we look around, like certain things are impossible because this thing's in the way or this person's in the way or this moment's in, in, in the way. Like this is never going to happen because I'm what I'm Mary or whatever. Like I'm, I'm just not that important. Or God would never do that in me because I'm, I'm not really from anybody And she's looking at it, and she's like, hey, I I still don't really get it because it's impossible. And then the angel comes back, and he's like, no, I just want you to realize that God seemingly dwells in the impossible. You get that, right? Like everything really seems impossible, but nothing will be impossible for and with God. Nothing's impossible with God. See, like, really, when you think about it, doesn't the whole book even sound impossible? There was a God who was out there doing whatever in nothingness. Like, you can't even have words to wrap around that, because I've never experienced nothing. And I don't know what you would do, like, if there was nothing. And then that God, through the power of just his vocal cords, if God has such things, spoke everything into existence from, by the way, nothing. It wasn't like God was like, let me get my earth Legos out and <laughs> I didn't have any Legos. So like in, in, in one chapter at the beginning of the book, God does some very impossible things. Things that we've never witnessed and circumstances say there's no way, Right? And then for the rest of the book, God continues to do things that all of us in our limited ability and minds would think are impossible. You ever read stories in the Bible and you're like, that's like the craziest thing I've ever heard because I don't know how that's going to happen. Like, you know, like, so you're telling me there was a guy named Moses. I'm going to picture him with a beard and a stick and a really long man dress. And he just walked out and did one of these and like a, a sea just opened up and by the way um, it was dry on the bottom it even sucked all the water out of the dirt so when they crossed like they didn't even get mud on their shoes doesn't that seem impossible you're telling me that there was another guy with the beard and a man dress and I'm going to say a hammer this time that had never witnessed rain before and God shows up and he's like, hey, uh, you're going you're to build a giant boat. And he's like, well, what is a boat? I've never even seen a boat. And God said, don't worry about it. I'm going to tell you. Um, and then he, he, there's all this material that's just there. And then like he, he builds the boat and then all these animals just start showing up. Like he didn't have to go play zookeeper. They just got there. And you're like, how did all these animals even get here? And then he floated around for a really long time on the water because it really did rain enough to flood everything. Like, doesn't that also seem impossible? You know, like, you, you could go story after story after story, right? Like, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, I'm not going to worship that statue. And he's like, well, okay, I'm going to throw you in the fire. And he's like, well, don't worry about it, because God's going to save me. And if he do, even if he doesn't, I'm not going to worship a statue. And then they, they throw him, throw them in the fire, and then they, they just walk around in there, because that's what people do in fire all the time, right? No, because it seems impossible. And then, like, the, the king looks down in there, and, and he sees, like, four people, and there were only three, so that's also impossible. And he says, looks like the Son of Man, which the, the king shouldn't even know what that is. And then he says, go get him. And, and they walk him out, and he's like, nothing singed, nothing even smells like smoke. And they were in the furnace. 
a hotter furnace than there had ever been. Also seems impossible. Like, isn't the whole book about how God just continues to do things that we would call impossible because nothing is impossible with God? So we get to this story, and we're like, okay, God sent his son through a virgin woman. And we're like, well, that's impossible. If, if that's impossible for you, we should have lost you on page one. Because really, to a God who can breathe out everything, creating a baby in a womb of a virgin woman is not really that big of a deal. Right? So this Jesus, uh, I won't even say was formed in the womb, like stepped down into the womb, right? Chose to come and to be a baby. That, that sounds ridiculous, but that's what God did. But again, like, God is the God who, like, we look around and we're like, well, that's impossible. But God's like, nothing is impossible. Not for me. He, he was born and he, he, like, grew up 33 and a half years and he died on the cross. And all that seems kind of in the realm of possibility, right? But then, like, they put him in the ground and three days later he comes back out. Another thing that we would look at and we'd be like, man, that is, that is impossible. Right? Like, if, if, you know, pick on Nick some more. If we just take Nick out back and... Give it to, you know, throw him in the hole. He's probably not coming back three days later. That circumstantially is impossible. Cover him up, and just three days later, he's sitting on top of it. That that's circumstantially that that seems impossible. To see, in reality, like the things that we look at, and we're like circumstantially, that's impossible or not impossible for God, because God is not limited by the things we are limited by. God doesn't have limitations like us. He doesn't, he doesn't have any of that stuff. And, and, and here's the thing. It says nothing is impossible. It doesn't even say for God, does it? It just says with God. So who's he talking to? A woman who's limited by her circumstances. I'm a virgin. I can't have a kid. And he's like, don't worry about it. Because on your own, no, a virgin can't have a child. But man, with God, there is not one thing that's impossible. What does that mean for us? It means the same thing, right? On your own, those circumstances that you're looking at in your life, that you're like, man, there's no way, I, there's nothing I can do about it, there's no, there's no way I'm going to be able to get here or do this thing or get past this or get over this or come out of this. There's no way I'm going to be able to do that. that. That's very true for you. Circumstantially, if you are addicted to something, you're going to be addicted to it circumstantially, if you're beaten down by sin, you're going to stay beaten down by sin. Circumstantially, if you're spiritually dead, you can't make yourself spiritually alive. That's true. Circumstantially, you can't save your home. You can't save your family. You can't save your marriage. You, you can't save anything. Circumstantially, you're in, in, you're in a heap of trouble. Circumstantially, actually, you can't even make yourself breathe right now circumstantially right now, you can't even do anything to affect yourself having a heartbeat. That's, that's just the reality of it. Like, we are living in a miracle right now because I'm not thinking about this muscle in my chest doing anything. Like, that's all God, just doing the thing. But man, with God, with God in you, with God working in you, with God moving in you, everything is on the table, is what he's saying circumstantially you're never going to make it circumstantially you're never going to get to heaven circumstantially whatever but with God all things are 
possible. With God, everything is possible. You're like, okay, but we were talking about the birth of Jesus. The birth of Jesus is the reminder, right? That God does things that seem impossible and crazy and ridiculous in ordinary people. Yes, Jesus really did come. And yes, Jesus really did come through a virgin. And that's amazing. And we want to celebrate that. But it means a lot to us. Because God is the God who works in the miraculous. God is the God who moves in the impossible. And today, um, maybe for some of us, we're like, well, he can't do that in me. And I just want to say to you, if he can find Mary in a town of 400 or less people, in an area that really didn't matter on the map, he can find me in, I think right now we're technically in Coryton with 12,000 people. If he can find Mary who has no political influence or really priestly influence, he can find me who just wandered up in here today. Doesn't even know where I am, right? The whole world may say whatever God's calling you to do or calling you into is impossible because of who you are, what you do. But God's not saying that. God's not saying that. Because with God, all things are possible. Let's pray.